Hey everybody, and welcome back to Keeping Up With Craft. This is episode 5 of a series wherein we try to help you keep up with the goings-on of the craft CMS world and web development in general by highlighting cool stuff that happened that we think is worth a look. I'm Michael Rogg, and I am once again joined by my illustrious co-host. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. So it's been uh, a little bit quiet in the craft CMS world, but we've got some stuff for you. Um, it's kind of like, though, Michael, it's kind of like uh, I've got kids. When it's uh-huh. quiet in the house, you know that there's something going on. So I think there's probably a lot of stuff that's being worked on. I know I'm working on a lot, and you probably are too. So Yeah, so so maybe it's a calm before the storm. Yeah, I think so. But we do have some stuff to uh, to highlight today, the first of which is um, a plugin that we saw drop from Mildly Geeky called Craft Kint. Yeah, so Kint is a PHP debugger. And if you guys are familiar with working with uh, the dump command in dev mode, it's kind of like that, but on steroids in a way. You can do things like, uh, in your templates, just do D some variables, and it gives you a really, really nice, collapsible, expandable display of all of the methods, all of the properties, and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, really useful for trying to debug uh, things that are going on in your templates. And it has some other uh, commands built into it. It has something very similar to the uh, craft class uh, dump and die command. Uh, which essentially dumps the variables and then just stops the request right there, uh, which can be useful as well for debugging stuff that you know you just want to see the output of this thing and nothing else. And if you, if you've ever used uh, Kint, is actually the the PHP software that does the debugging, and this is a, a plugin that just kind of enables it and gives a uh, craft templating front end to Kint, and I I think it's really cool. Have you gotten a chance to use Kint at all before? No, I haven't yet. Um, so what you're telling me is I I use it in my template kind of like I would use the dump method yes. that's enabled in dev mode, except yep. that instead of getting um, the print R representation, like the variable dump text representation out in my template, I get some sort of interactive, yes. browsable debugging tool appearing there, which sounds really cool. It actually sounds... Um, a little bit like the debugging tool that ships with um, with Yi two, uh, which is going to be available to us in Craft three. Yeah, it's kind of like that. the The interface I think is actually quite a bit nicer. Um, but yeah, any uh, let's say you've got a an object, um, it will show you any of the properties, and then if a if the object has an array or a sub object or whatever. Um, it's expandable and collapsible, so you can view just that stuff, um, and you can view the the methods or any of the other uh, properties that you're interested in. It's it, it is quite nice for being able to just quickly inspect to see what the hell is going on. You know, when your templates are not working the way that you think that they should be. Nice. Well, I haven't gotten a chance to play with Kint yet, but I definitely want to check it out. We were actually talking about template debugging on today's Straight Up Hangout. Um, okay. So if you're not already following the Straight Up Hangouts, go to Straight Up Craft and uh, and check out the Hangouts. And today's was about debugging common twig errors in your templates. And so this sounds like it would be a useful tool to plug into some of the situations that we talked about. Uh, another tool that we mentioned on that Hangout today um, is a little plugin that uh, I just released, um, which is basically... Uh, an interface to a service called Paper Trail. So in the same way that Kint is 
a widely used debugging tool, and now we have a plugin that that gives it a nice interface with Craft. Um, Paper Trail is a software as a service product that uh, installs on your server and monitors things like your system logs and your PHP logs and your Nginx and MySQL logs and stuff like that. Um, and you can install it on multiple servers, and then it aggregates all of your logs into a really nice, searchable, filterable um, feed, live feed on their web app. Um, and so you can sit there and watch all your, your server logs scroll by and then drill down into different components or different... Uh, different uh, Warning levels, alert levels. Yeah, warning levels. Okay. Um, you know, info or, or error or warning or debug or whatever. Um, anyway, I have found it very useful to hook up my plugins and my templates when I'm developing plugins and developing sites uh, mm. so that my templates and my craft plugins can log things to Paper Trail as well and they just kind of become part of this live feed of things going on. Um, and so, uh, this paper trail plugin, um, it was just kind of a, a quick and dirty little way of interfacing craft with paper trails so that, uh, from a template variable or from a helper class, if you're developing a plugin, you can make logs appear in your feed, uh, in paper trail. And so I gave a demo of that, uh, in the hangout today and decided that it might be useful for other people. So I put it up on my GitHub. So I have not used Paper Trail before. I've talked to you about it before, but sell me on it. You know, I'm kind of old school Unix guy. Tell me why I should not just tail the log files. You know, you can. You can tail the log file. Um, I find that it's just, um, well, for one, it saves you having to SSH into the server and right. go find the log file. And if you're trying to find an error across, you know, maybe it's in Crafts log or maybe it's in mm. one of the plugins log files or maybe it's in crafts php errors log or maybe it's in the system php log and like you can end up tailing or grepping 10 different text files and now if you've got stuff running on multiple servers maybe you've got um, some production servers that are in a master slave setup or maybe you've got multiple v hosts like whatever it is it just kind of handles all of that complexity for you um, so that you don't have to log into anything, you don't have to tail anything, you just open up the web app and you see the live feed of all of your logs. And it's like a live tail. It's like if you open up your terminal and do a live tail, but it's across all your servers and all of your logs. So let's say I'm developing a plugin. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I, I don't make mistakes, so I don't need to look at the Naturally. debug log. Right. right. But, but if I did, <laughs> how would I tell, how would I use your plugin to say, hey, this log in craft storage logs, I want that to go into a paper trail. The way you would monitor craft logs on your file system is the same way that you install their utility to monitor your, your system log or your PHP log or anything else. The plugin that I made sort of replaces the craft logger. So when you're developing, you know, mm. craft gives each plugin access to its logging components and you can log stuff in it and it dumps it in the text files there in in storage runtime logs directory but what this plugin does is it actually instead of logging it to the craft log or to my plugins log i will log it to paper trail instead and so uh, the plugin gives you just a helper class that you can pull in and use in place of crafts log method uh, and then it doesn't get written to to the file system it just goes straight to 
the web app via... Can it do both? Can, can it log to the file end to Paper Trail? Yeah, you can do both if you want. I usually don't because I'm I paranoid. don't have to keep like tabbing back and forth between my craft log file and deleting the contents of the log file every time I run something so that the log file doesn't get unwieldily big. Um, Sounds like so you're making just, a lot of mistakes. It's just a nicety. Well, not everyone can be as perfect as you. Um, it can be very useful to just have a live tale of all of your logs. And also, you know, sometimes I will... Uh, the other nice thing is that it integrates with a lot of other services. So mm. I can stick a little um, a little template variable in one of my templates and say, okay, if I'm trying to run this template and this very important variable for some reason doesn't exist... That's important enough that I want to know about it right now. So right. log it to Paper Trail, and then I set a watcher that you know will ping me in Slack or send me a text message or mm-hmm. something like that. And that's you can't really do that just by you know logging in and tailing a, a text file. Um, so it, it makes your logs really come alive in that way, and and just abstracts away a bunch of the command line complexity. I like um, it. And, and how so, much does this fantastic plugin cost? It's free 95, mm, uh, open nice. under the MIT license. Beautiful. Another thing we wanted to touch on was uh, a little something called flexibility. Something yeah. that my wife, my, my, my wife tells me I should have this thing, so let's talk about it. You should. Um, flexibility is great. Um, it's good for your health. It's good for your circulation. It's good for your muscle growth. You should spend as much time as possible doing yoga. Mm. Um and, uh, and stretching out your body. You also should look into a JavaScript library called Flexibility, which was uh, released uh, at the 10up GitHub. Um, and uh, Flexibility is a polyfill for Flexbox that allows you to use Flexbox in older browsers like IE8 and IE9 uh, and even IE10 b- before they had sort of finalized the spec. Um, and, uh, and you know, I've been wanting to use more Flexbox in all of my front-end projects. And unfortunately, I just do a lot of work in situations where I need to support uh, legacy versions of Internet Explorer for whatever reason. And I've, I've kind of been waiting for a polyfill to drop that I thought was well-architected enough and clean enough that I would be proud to... Um, to use it in my projects and, and trust that it's not going to bloat my project or yep. um, or weigh down the rendering. And, um, and so fle- flexibility looks really, really, really nice. And I've started playing around with it and had very good results. They even have a, a, a demo uh, up on their GitHub page. And so I'm very excited about this. Uh, it's not, of course, craft-specific. It's just, uh, you know, anybody who does front-end development should be really interested in this. Um, well, let me um, let me take a step back real quick. I'm sure a lot of people know, or at least have heard of Flexbox, but um, the uh, Control Click podcast, um, their most recent episode was covering Flexbox uh, with yeah. Zoe Zoe Gillenwater. And if you if you haven't heard that, um, you know, go over and check it out because there's a pretty good discussion on it. But in a nutshell, Flexbox is an actual layout engine for CSS. And I, I personally use Flexbox for all of my projects. I'm lucky enough that 
most of the stuff that I work on. Uh, we don't care that IE8 is out there in 1% of the market or whatever it happens to be. However, the reality is that some banks, other institutions, you know, they have a mandate, must support IE8. Um, and that's what you're telling me that this JavaScript will do is will kind of free the shackles of, well, I really want to use Flexbox. I want to learn it and start doing it, but I don't really want to do it yet because it can't work on all the browsers that I need to, to author towards. Uh, and it sounds like this solves that problem, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, it, uh, it's a JavaScript file that you just drop in to your page um, and then you can use Flexbox just as you would with a modern browser. So no more excuses. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I'm not going to call it an excuse. The most common reason that I hear for people not digging into Flexbox, which is an extremely powerful tool, it really, uh, you know, um, it frees us from a bunch of janky stuff that we've been doing with table layouts and CSS and, and really hacking the heck out of floats for things that floats really shouldn't be used for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just solves you know, vertically centering, same height columns, like you said. Yep. Um, you know, masonry sorts of layouts, um, just all kinds of stuff. You can even switch that, the order. Yep. Um, you can have a different order of elements based on different responsive breakpoints. So it solves a ton of layout problems for front-end developers and was a very long time in coming. And the most common reason that I hear, and it's my own reason too a lot of times, for not using more Flexbox is it just uh, isn't supported in the older browsers. Right. Um, and so, yeah, this... Um, you know, as long as you are willing to make the assumption that your client is running JavaScript, which at, yeah. at this point is a very safe assumption for us mm -hmm. as developers, um, then you just add this JavaScript file to your project and you can use Flexbox just like you would with the latest version of Chrome. And the implementation is really, really, really cool. Uh, if you go to the, this GitHub project and read about how they're actually accomplishing this, um, the, the JavaScript magic that they're using to kind of hook into um, the DOM and, and the way style properties are rendered is just an insane lesson in some really cool JavaScript and, and understanding of, of very deep understanding of the DOM. So if that's a thing that fascinates you, you should go read about it. But um, in the base case, yeah, pop this JavaScript into your project and start using Flexbox more. I'm very excited for this. Uh, I mean, I've started using Flexbox now uh, in all of my new projects because yep. I can. Um, IE8, nobody really cares about, I think, but IE9, still a lot of people, especially um, big enterprise clients where all of their internal browsers, for whatever reason, are running IE9. You know, So maybe all of their customers are in nice new browsers, but all of their executives, you know, anytime they look at anything, it's in IE9. And so we just yeah. have to. Yeah. Um, if the guy who signs the checks is running IE9, then you got to do what you got to do. If I had a client that did care, obviously it makes complete sense. And, and honestly, um, I probably will go back in some of my projects and just drop this JavaScript in. I mean, why not? If yeah. it brings compatibility to some small percentage of, uh, of people who might happen to hit the site, you know, why not? It certainly can't hurt to throw it in there. And something that's very important to me is that it is an AMD-compliant uh, JavaScript module, so it'll work with Require.js and all that fun stuff. Yeah, so I think that's, so that's your front-end tool for the day, which is actually the first, I think it's the first non-craft-specific tool that we've 
mm-hmm. featured on the podcast, which is something I'd like to do more of. I agree. Um, that's a really that's a really cool one. But returning to craft CMS land, um, you wanted to talk about the case studies, right? So everyone is, uh, especially after listening to the the most recent craft uh, podcast, uh, knows about less uh, is now working uh, at Pixel and Tonic. Leslie and, Camacho is the new chief customer officer. Right. And one of the things that uh, that he has done, uh, he authored for them the case study on the Associated Press uh, and them using Craft for a fairly high-profile site. And it's pretty regular that, uh, you know, we'll have someone come into Slack and they'll say, hey, you know, I'm trying to pitch Craft to such and such a client, is it used for any big sites out there, any big name sites? And you give them the link to the AP uh, the AP study, and they say, wow, okay, great. Um, and recently, Les did another one on uh, titled Murder on the Enterprise Express, which is a case study on uh, Mint Digital creating the agathachristie.com website using Craft. And it's an interesting read. It's you know it's fun to hear about what they worked on and all that kind of stuff. But I think the the more important point is uh, why these case studies are important. You know, craft is still new enough that maybe they have heard of it, maybe they haven't. Showing them that these high profile sites are done on craft um, is very very helpful to point out to potential clients. You know, this is the kind of thing that we can build uh, with this technology. So I I view these case studies. Um, as a marketing tool for me. Yeah, no, it's it's the same for me, and I get asked all the time, um, even by you know clients who who trust me and my recommendations, um, but haven't used Craft before, um, and and have internal pressures a lot of times in their organizations to to stick with a a legacy CMS. You know, they ask me, so who is using Craft that I've heard of, um, and so if you hang out and in the community, in the Slack, um, on Twitter enough, then you'll kind of see some of those announcements happen and you can sort of keep a running list in your head. But what's really nice is that these case studies, you know, are hitting very high profile clients and they're being written by Pixel and Tonic and, and featured by Pixel and Tonic, which, which not only announces that this product is being used by some of these high profile sites, but also illustrates Pixel and Tonic's commitment as a company to support people like you and me who are, you know, who are having to answer these questions from our clients all the time to, to give us some ammo to take into right. those sales meetings. Um, and so uh, that, of course, is Leslie's job at Pixel and Tonic as chief customer officer is to uh, help enable and empower freelancers and agencies of all sizes to make those sales and to be able to illustrate uh, that craft is being used in these large high profile projects and that Pixel and Tonic as a company stands behind the product um as it's being used in those situations. And and I know that uh Les has a lot more case studies in the pipeline. Um they really want to build up a good collection of uh of case studies of all kinds of different websites so that no matter what kind of site you're trying to to sell craft on, there will be a case study that will relate and that you can show to a client and say, yes, here is craft performing in exactly the kind of genre or situation or, or scale level that we're trying to hit. Um, and that'll be very, very useful for our community. 
Uh, and those, of course, are at craftcms.com slash news. Slash news. Okay, so they're in the news section. Yep, there's a whole news category there for uh, case studies. <laughs> All right, well, that uh, that's our list for today. We've got a new plugin to hook craft up to the Kint PHP debugger, a plugin to hook craft up to Paper Trails log aggregating service, a nifty JavaScript polyfill for Flexbox called Flexibility, and everybody should go check out the craft case studies and um, and take those with you when you go into your sales meetings. We're done. Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, You're making this harder on yourself. Yeah, I'm trying to come up with it with a with a nice. To say bye bye. I feel like we should have a, a a sign-off line. Like, why? Goodbye, everybody. Keep building awesome things with craft. <laughs> Make more stuff so we have more stuff to talk <laughs> that's about. A, right? That's it. You keep making stuff. We'll keep talking about it. <laughs> All right. Have a great weekend. See ya. Bye-bye.